Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about brain health across the lifespan is Dr. Paul Nussbaum. Dr. Nussbaum is board certified in clinical psychology and geropsychology with a specialization in neuropsychology. He is the founder and president of Brain Health Center, Inc. that provides independent medical examinations, neuropsychological assessments, and case management for those suffering neurological and neurobehavioral disorders. The center also serves as the epicenter for Dr. Nussbaum's brain health lifestyle consultation business and his keynote presentations internationally. Dr. Nussbaum has 30 years experience in the care of adults and older persons suffering dementia, head injury, and many neuropsychiatric disorders. Dr. Nussbaum educates the general public on the basics of the human brain and how to keep the brain healthy over the entire lifespan. He has presented his views on brain health at the United Nations, National Press Club, C-SPAN, and many others. Dr. Nussbaum serves as the face of brain health to many companies and organizations as he bridges neuroscience to the general public. Hello, Dr. Nussbaum. How are you, sir? Hey, Jason. Great to be with you here today. Congratulations on Knowledgeable Aging. What a wonderful we platform. I really do appreciate it. Uh, we were talking off air, Dr. Nussbaum, when you and I first started to talk about collaborating. Uh, the coronavirus was still relatively in its infancy in the United States. I'm just curious, how has it impacted your business? Uh, that's true. And, uh, you know, in, in, in March, uh, I, I was actually very concerned uh, about uh, the nation really wasn't speaking towards the mental health aspects of COVID. And I really began to reach out to my network. And this really crosses multiple uh, sectors of, uh, of our society, wealth management, uh, financial planners, uh, senior living, um, healthcare certainly, uh, but business organizations. And it's been very, very uh, interesting, uh, Jason, in that it doesn't matter your background, right? Everybody's being affected psychologically by COVID and, and really uh, creating a sense of loss of control for us. Uh, then the economic implications hit, some of the things going on in the country hit, so we have this cascade of psychological uh, detriments to our, uh, our well-being. So it's been, uh, it's been quite busy. I bet. I bet. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about brain health. Um, how is brain health defined and how can we think about that? So brain, brain health really uh, uh, has been a very popular and hot topic since about uh, the year 2000. And, and part of the reason for that, uh, Jason, is in 1998, we learned that the human brain can generate new brain cells. Uh, prior to that, we really didn't think so. You may recall, if you have any children or anybody on the conference today, uh, if you have children during the time of, uh, uh, of the baby's uh, development in the womb, you probably read a book by a guy named Spock, right? It's, you know, it's not Star Trek, all right? And Spock was telling <laughs> us that, uh, you know, there's this critical period of brain development with zero to three, and I don't know what happens after three, but it's all downhill, I guess. But we learned uh, actually now that the human brain is quite different. It can be shaped across the lifespan. Um, and it's constantly reorganizing malleable and it's dynamic. So that really means that we can uh, do things to create a shaping of our brain for health. And that's where I've been spending most of my time, Jason, over the past 20 years, teaching the basics of the human brain to the general public and what we can do to actually shape it for health. As an example, we don't have a cure or even a prevention for Alzheimer's disease, the leading cause of dementia in the nation. But we do have the ability to shape our brain to build what's called brain resilience. And the way that the, the, the little metaphor I can give everybody is that you can actually create a number of neural connections in your brain so that your brain looks like a jungle, all right, literally. 
And think about Alzheimer's disease as one example as a weed whacker coming in to not take out weeds, but take out brain cells. But if your brain is set up across the lifespan to have all these neural connections, to have a density of neural connections, it'll fight off, delay that disease, sometimes even to the point uh, where you die and your brain is still uh, quite functional. So that's the power of, of a brain health lifestyle, shaping the brain for health. Very good. Um, so are there some basic new facts about the brain that we know today that maybe we didn't know that maybe in our prior thinking? There are. So you're looking at a really cool picture, at least for me, because I'm a nerd with regard to the brain. So I really dig <laughs> these kind of pictures. And I had a medical artist draw this for me. We got some colors going on there, right? We're looking at the inside of the human brain. And I want everybody to think about the human brain as not being this sort of clinical, far-off thing you can't associate with. I always tell my audiences, you're really looking at a picture of yourself right there. It's the single greatest, most magnificent miracle ever designed in the history of this or any universe. And will never, ever be anything created that even comes close. And Jason, that's just based on what we think the brain can do today. And we don't know a whole lot. That's what's exciting about it. The brain weighs three pounds. It's composed of 60% fat, 6-0. It's the fattest part of the human uh, organism. A lot of us don't know that. that. The fat insulates the nerve tracts to help propel information quickly. And, and, and this is an interesting one here too, Jason. Every time your heart beats, 25% of the blood goes right to the brain. So even though it only weighs three pounds, mm -hmm. it demands 25% of the blood. Now, as you look at this picture, I want everybody to focus in on that that lavender section called the hippocampus. It's kind of deep in the lower part of the brain there. That structure, in my opinion, is the most important part of you because that lays down your life story. That's where we encode new information, where we learn. The entire educational system is built on the altar of the hippocampus. It's in that structure that we learned in 1998 that you and me and all other humans can generate new brain cells. The structure right next to it is called the amygdala. We were talking about COVID earlier. One of the things we've learned about what we're going through right now in our country with COVID is that there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of irritability, there are sleep disorders, mood disorders, uh, and what happens is when we perceive a stressor, that amygdala, that green structure, uh, it gets triggered, Jason, and hormonally it propels cortisol to flood our body, and it tells the brain to develop what's called norepinephrine, also known as adrenaline. So we begin to develop anxiety. The interesting thing about that is when we can't shut that response off, the hippocampus stops functioning. So think about it, everybody, for a second. This is a cool little fact. When you're under a lot of stress and anxiety, maybe it was the math test you had to take or the licensure examination, <laughs> Uh, you don't recall information quite as fast. And so trying to achieve, and we were talking about this, Jason, trying to achieve balance in our lives emotionally, psychologically, even though there are things going on in our lives that are upsetting, can really bring the brain to full fruition in terms of what it's able to do. So those are just a few things. You can begin to imagine what we can talk about uh, as we learn about the structure, what's going on under the hood as it relates to behavior. <sighs> So if the brain can be shaped, Dr. Nussbaum, what are the implications for our health then? They're, they're tremendous. So one of the things I told some folks yesterday in a webinar, just a practical tip, anytime you see somebody that says five tips to happiness, seven basic tips to you know balance, I would not take that too seriously because this is a very complicated issue. 
Um, our psychology is complicated, and it really goes to meaning, right? What is your meaning in life? Um, but understand that you do have control over achieving what I call balance, emotional balance. Within that section of the brain that we looked at where the hippocampus and amygdala was is this other really cool thing that goes on, Jason, which is if we practice what I call neurospiritual uh, behaviors, uh, for example, forgiveness and kindness and compassion uh, and love and faith, if we practice those things, now I wasn't trained in that, right? We don't talk about that stuff in medicine. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we don't, but we don't. But when we practice those things, really wonderful neurochemicals like dopamine, uh, hormones like oxytocin, which is all about love and those good feelings, flood your, your brain and body. So think about that for a second because right now it feels like, at least for me, particularly when we turn the TV on, that there's a lot of hostility, a lot of caustic stuff going on out there, a lot of bitterness, there's a lot of yelling going on. Um, and as a little boy, I don't kind of recall that going on in our society quite as much as it is now. What I try to get people to do is to, to shift that, to be a bit quiet, and instead of yelling and screaming and hitting and all these kinds of things and insulting and being judgmental, what we need to do is to practice love and kindness and forgiveness uh, and compassion and have empathy. And that may sound a bit trite, but it's actually very genuine when I say it because what happens as a neuroscientist, what happens when you do those things is quite healthy for your brain. Now, that's stuff that's not doesn't get talked about as much as some of the things here that you see in my, my brain health lifestyle pie. Um, you can also think about physical activity being very helpful for the brain. And why is that, Jason? Because every time your heart beats, 25% of the blood goes to the brain. So... COVID's made me a bit more sedentary. I don't know about the folks on the, on the call today. So I've had to really be conscious to get up and move. My gym shut down. So I had to do some things that were a bit more creative for me. So a good walk. I'm in Florida, so I'm able to swim more than when I'm in Pennsylvania, for example. But there's things I can do creatively. Uh, spirituality is a big one for, for the human brain. And that really basically, for me anyway, means... Um, calming that amygdala down and gaining some balance. You were telling me about your practice of yoga, which is impressive. Uh, folks meditate, uh, folks pray, folks may engage with nature, right? So walking the beach, going into the woods, just having quiet time is very, very important to settle down all the chaos that's going on around us. Mental stimulation, there are just two words there that I use for people. I was actually telling my dental hygienist this the other day when she asked me, think about novelty and complexity new and difficult. And if you can just do things that are new and difficult for you, you're not going to want to. Why? Because they're new and difficult. Uh, but if you do those things, you're literally laying down new neural tracks, neural networks to help you do those things. And in time, what happens? You become more comfortable with them. I basically, Paul Nussbaum, I don't really need to write any more books. I need to learn what's going on under the hood of my car because I'm not very good at that. Uh, doesn't make me a bad person, just means I haven't practiced it, so I don't have any neurons to help me do that. Socialization, this is particularly an interesting one, isn't it, Jason, during time of COVID? Humans were not meant to hibernate. We've been sort of, quote unquote, locked down, we're hibernating. We don't hibernate. Humans have to engage with one another. It's what we're doing now. We literally have to see each other eyeball to eyeball, and when we do that, it's not just infants with mom or dad, it's all of us we produce oxytocin. 
So we're walking around with masks. We're not allowed to go certain places. We're told to social distance, and we should do those things. Um, but there's a there's a consequence, and we have to come out of that in a healthy way, in a proper way, but get back to doing what we do is to stay socially engaged. This becomes, I know knowledgeable aging is very interested in older adults. Older adults who, who isolate physically also isolate emotionally, and their brain isolates. And when that occurs, when it segregates, dementia risk goes high. So we have to make sure across the lifespan we stay integrated. Finally, nutrition. There's a whole field now, uh, Jason, you'll probably have some experts on, uh, on your platform to talk about nutritional neurosciences. We know foods are really important for the heart and other parts of our body, bone density, these kinds of things. But it turns out eating uh, increased omega-3 fatty acids, proper fats you get in fish, reducing processed foods, uh, eating seeds and almonds and certain nuts, uh, fruits and vegetables, grains are really important for the brain as well because the brain is composed of 60% fat, okay? So as I was telling you earlier before we got on, Jason, everybody who looks at this lifestyle uh, icon here, I call it the brain health pie, Grandma taught you these things. Uh, she did. And she was really wise. And she is really wise. Uh, but what we didn't know is that these same kind of things have implications for the brain to build that jungle that I always talk about, which is a brain health uh, lifestyle and a healthy brain. The, uh, the brain health pie, as, as you term it, as we're in COVID, are there certain sections of this pie that you feel like you need to take more care of when it comes to your brain? Yeah, that's a great question, and um, Pew Research did some interesting, uh, had an interesting survey. This was late March when things were kind of hitting, and they found that, you know, most of us that responded indicated that we we're very uncomfortable going out into uh, social situations. But one of the things that stuck out at me with it was that um, individuals were turning to prayer much more often. Even about 15 to 20 percent of people here to four were, um, didn't have a religious uh, formation, didn't, didn't pray, maybe didn't believe in that, we're turning to that. And so I think, you know, when we're humbled and when we're kind of brought down a bit and told to, uh, to have certain parts of our routine taken away from us, oftentimes I find it helpful to turn to powers that are not earthbound. Uh, and so people have turned to uh, online sort of forms of worship. They've turned to their own forms of worship. They've turned to prayer. Um, we don't think of that in traditional Western medicine as being important for the human organism. But for me, as a neuroscientist, I have found it to be particularly important. For folks that are listening today, there's actually a whole field of study now called neurotheology, where they're peering into the brain in terms of what's going on when people meditate uh, or when people pray. And there's some very healthy outcomes from that. So the other tricky one, right, is socialization. Um, fortunately, we live in a time, um, I think I'm a bit older than you, Jason, but when I was a little boy, we didn't have all these fancy gadgets that we could sort of look at each other on these screens, right? So yep. fortunately, we have that today. Um, that becomes very powerful for older adults who are vulnerable to covid and maybe in nursing homes or assisted living and don't have the ability to maybe appreciate, understand what's going on. They have this ability to connect with their family, which is so very, very important. Now, that's not a medicine, is it? 
but I can guarantee you that's as uh, powerful or, in my opinion, more powerful than any medicine they're ever going to take to promote the kinds of chemicals that help to make them healthy and feel safe. We just, uh, a question, somebody just asked, can trying new things lead to anxiety? Yes, absolutely. And because, number one, you don't want to do it. Number two, you know you ain't very good at it. And that's <laughs> why we don't do them. Uh, but a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear is actually helpful. And if you weren't anxious about something, it means you don't care. So professional athletes feel anxious when they before they start the game. People who take a test for, when I took my licensure examinations, I was anxious, but it was that anxiety that propelled me to get prepared, right? So that's a, that's a different form of anxiety than what I was talking about yes, uh, earlier, which is kind of more of a clinical form. So take on that, that a bit of fear, take it on, uh, overcome it, uh, and as you plan and prepare and as you do these things over repeated trials, you're going to fall down a bit, but get back up and keep moving. And I guarantee you, you're going to look back and say, you know what, I overcame that fear. And what does that mean about me in terms of other things I can overcome? If you don't mind, I'd like to, to go back to the dementia, you know, the isolation. Your concerns with COVID and if it, if it, if it continues to drag out, we're going to see a rise in the, the mental health for a lot of uh, seniors or a lot of older persons, right? Absolutely. We're going to see... Mental health is, uh, we don't like to talk about mental health in the United States of America. It's better than when, you know, I was a little boy again. We talk openly about it uh, a bit more now. But, you know, I was telling a senior living industry yesterday that it really should be part of their major platforms for strate strategic planning moving forward. I would say the same thing for any business. I tell wealth managers the same thing. Whatever business, education, kids. Um, COVID, uh, the, the vulnerable population, all the data indicates, uh, are the older adults and particularly those with comorbid conditions. And by the way, most older adults have comorbid conditions. You and I are going to have comorbid conditions when, when we get older. It's just, it's just normal. Um, so the focus has to be, I think, as much as trying to understand the virus, as much as trying to understand what we're supposed to do about the virus, as much as understanding development of vaccines, and all these things has to be on the psychological aspects of what we're going through. And, you know, Jason, I mean, I can tell you some of the data on depression and anxiety, um, but we're also not talking openly about suicidality, domestic violence, uh, child abuse, these kinds of things that are going out there that aren't being talked about openly, that are part of isolation and what goes on when schools are not open and these sorts of things. Um, for older adults in personal care settings, I wrote an op-ed uh, the other day that in the United States of America, as an example, we should not have, we should not accept that if my mother or father pass, that I'm not able to be their bedside, or I'm not able to have a funeral for them. Um, we're just, we're just too sophisticated technologically not to be able to have that. But that's a huge psychological consequence of a family member not being able to be present. And I, I know people that are dealing with consequences of them not being present when their mother or father passed on. Um, that's one practical example. Uh, another practical example is older adults, and I know this firsthand, by the way, not as a professional, but as a, as a child of an older adult in this situation. When you go and visit, you have to stand behind uh, 
plexiglass and these kinds of things. You have to wear a mask, and those are the proper protocols. Uh, I'm not arguing against that. But the psychological consequence of that from the eyes of the older adult really need to be talked about, and hopefully they are, and I think they are, but they need to be explained because there could be a lot of confusion there. Um, for older adults in long-term care who don't have family that visit, uh, emotionally they may just feel much more isolated and, and part of my journey with teaching senior living and working with senior living is to help equip the folks on the front line who are real heroes to pay attention to that psychological uh, impact that this is making on the residents. Very good. One last question, Dr. Nussbaum. Is there one piece of your pie that is most critical to focus on? Is That's that possible? The yeah, I get asked that all the time. And, and the way I answer that is with, <clears throat> if Jason Kotar was to ask me that, what I would do is get to know Jason, uh, get to know you. And as we, you're kind of looking at a mirror, I'm looking at it right now, you're looking at it, everybody on, on, on today's call is looking at it. So you have to kind of answer the question in terms of where you're most weak um, in, in that. And, and there's going to be a slice or two where we're not doing quite as good a job. That's normal. That's that's the journey that we take. And so my answer would be, um, you know, to go after the slice, <clears throat> the slices of the pie where you're a bit more deficient than the others. And you all know what that is. Mm -hmm. On my website, there'll be some free information that can tell you what the research-based activities are uh, for those slices where maybe you're most efficient. For everybody on the planet, what I would say, uh, even those who don't believe in a higher being, the spirituality component, something I wasn't trained in, uh, for me, takes us above the earth, right? It takes us beyond the earth. So there's some things there that we don't capture with physical exercises and all the latest gadgets that we can exercise on, the stimulus that uh, we have down on the planet earth that can help uh, engage my mental capacity, engaging with other humans, food that I eat that's on planet Earth. So there's some things within spirituality that our brain permit us to have that takes us beyond the Earth that I think is, for me personally, uh, an overarching power that we're, we've only begun to tap into. And, and that's, that's an area that's going to get us, by the way, to the brain being able to heal ourselves one day. We don't understand it yet, but trust me, that's a, that's a whole frontier where we're headed. Very good. Well, Dr. Nussbaum, how can... How can people find you? Uh, I'm easily found. Um, you can see the website there. If you if you hit that, you'll find a lot of free information. I really don't sell anything. Um, there's my email. Uh, what I tell people, and I, I've offered this to 100,000 people internationally, that if you reach out to me, I will get back to you, and I'll do it probably sooner than you would imagine. Part <laughs> of that's because I have obsessive-compulsive features. <laughs> and, I, and I generally want to... Uh, want to connect. So uh, that's how you can get a hold of me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty uh, exposed in terms of my work being out there all over the internet and whatnot. So uh, give a shout out, take a look. And, um, you know, let's let's do a lot more loving out there and, and engage in a lot more kindness um, and even forgiveness. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're going to be better off. Very good. Well, real quick. So for those that are going to be listening to us today on our podcast, uh, www.brainhealthctr.com is the website. And I can promise you lots of good information, a lot of links. You could spend hours upon hours just reading and watching and just really educating yourself, which is a, a wonderful outlet, uh, Dr. Nussbaum. Um, your email is drnuss at me.com. Dr. Nuss, drnuss at me.com. 
Thank you. So, uh, so Dr. Nussbaum, thank you again. I know, uh, you know, like I said, we have talked about a couple different webinars as we go forward. So look forward to having you back here in a couple months to really just explore how, how our brain is, is impacted during this time and what we can do for ourselves. So thank you again for your time today. Um, my name is Jason Kotar, and I am the host, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.